Thanks for checking out the Refuge Official Podcast. Wherever you're from, we hope that this message will encourage you and help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, here's one of our leaders, Tim Kleiner. Good morning, church. That's a little better. My name is Matt Malik. I'm the lead pastor at Refuge. And uh, wasn't Mo on fire today? That's awesome, I tell you. I don't know if it has anything to do with it, but she's living with us right now, temporarily between she, uh, the time she moves into her new apartment. So we uh, took her, and, you know, we take in strangers all the time. You know, that's what pastors do. <laughs> but anyway, I know, I know she's not a stranger, but <laughs> I'm just kidding, okay? You know, we, we're honored to have her in our home. Anyway, I, I'm going to introduce the speaker. Uh, he's not a stranger around here, and I tell you, he has a heart for God. Him and I both attended the same Bible college, Rayma Bible Training Center in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he has a hunger and a passion of the Word. And I think that school really infuses that in the students, a passion for the truth, a passion for the Word, walking in integrity, walking without compromise, and really standing on the truth and believing God and using your faith and seeing victory come where there's defeat and all that, all the negative stuff in the world uh, we can overcome. And so, uh, Tim, why don't you come up here, and I want to introduce you to him. And, and he's spoken here before. He's shared from the pulpit. But this message today, I believe, is so significant in this area of core values because we are, as a church, in awe of the one true God. And he's going to bring light to things from, from the Word that's going to help us better understand that. And uh, Tim and I, we like to get in discussions uh, I use him a lot. Now, where's that verse? Or where's that said? Uh, him and I are students of the word. And, and so we, uh, actually, he also works on staff here, too. I forgot to say that. He's our financial director. And he's a good person to direct finances because he's honorable. He's diligent. And God called him. He has actually a manager at Lowell's. And God just kind of moved on him. He felt the call to serve in ministry. And so he's here today. Amen. So we are Appreciative of you, Tim. Uh, take it from here. God bless. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Before I get started, I just want to thank Pastor Matt and Pastor Deb. Um, there's few people that you will run across in your life that will make a dramatic impact, and them two are one of them. One of those people, uh, couples, that have made a tremendous impact on my life. Um, I would not be the person I am today if it wasn't for them, and I truly mean that. They are more than just a, a pastor or a mentor, but they are a spiritual mom and dad. And so I, I love you guys, and I appreciate you. Thank you for pouring into to my life and my family's life. So, All right. So the last couple of months we've been speaking about core values and um, – they, a core value is there, it's a fundamental belief that you hold deep within you. It's at the core, the center of who you are. And so we have core beliefs here at Refuge that make up who we are. They, they are at the center of what we believe as, as a church. Um, so, so far, and you can go back in and listen to the podcast on our, on our mobile app or on YouTube, uh, but we discussed um, in the first uh, ten messages, um, they were, we are a people who cannot be broken, a family that always forgives, 
peacemakers in a world at war, a body that when damaged will heal. Uh, we talked about a safe, we're a safe place for the poor and rich. Refuge is a haven for those who are tired. So refuge, if, if you've been beaten down, broken, and tired by life, you can come here. We are a, a church for all people, and you can find refuge here. Um, we're a friend who will never grow weary. We are enablers for those who seek truth. Um, uh, it's a journey that will never grow old. And last week, uh, Ben Craigness brought an awesome message. I want to encourage you guys to listen to that. A servant who love without an agenda. So today we're going to wrap this series. I, I have the privilege of wrapping this series up. And it's called, We Are a People in Awe of the One True God. We are a refuge. So before we get going, why don't, why don't we go ahead and pray? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today, Lord. We thank you for who you are, that we can have an encounter with the one and true and living God. And we thank you that we can come into your presence. We can uh, come into church and to hear your word. We ask that you would reveal your word to us, unfold it, unveil it, Father, to our hearts and to our minds, and let us put it into practice in our daily life. And we thank you, Father God, for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So have you ever been outside and maybe just walking the Green Circle Trail in town or at a park and, and, or on a lake or somewhere, and you were just awestruck by the beauty of creation, just taken captive by the, the sun or the moon and the stars. I think back when I was growing up, um, my parents moved around a lot when I was a kid, and so uh, I spent eight years in the state of Alaska. That's where I lived. And when I think about the nature and the beauty and the mountains and the landscape of Alaska. We lived two miles from a glacier that we would ride our bikes to, and just the enormity of that glacier, and you're just awestruck by the beauty of creation. Or I think back a, a few, about 11 years ago, me and my brother and my dad, we, we took a trip to Canada to a secluded lake to, to fish and to see the um, the the landscape and how huge the moon is in, in, in Canada and to hear the wildlife, to hear the loons on the lake. You're just awestruck by the beauty and the splendor of creation. But creation just didn't happen by chance. There was a God who created the heavens and the earth, the galaxies and the stars that we see at night. Um, scientists tells us that there's over 400 billion stars just in the Milky Way galaxy, our galaxy alone. And they said that there's approximately 125 different galaxies. So they estimated it to be one times 10 to the 22nd power of how many stars are in existence. That is it's an unnumerable amount. That's basically billions and trillions of stars in, our, in, in the universe. And God is the one who created them. It says in the book of Isaiah that he, formed, he created the stars and he names each of them by, his, by name. And all of them are, with, are not missing because of his power. He knows every single one of the stars' names, and he calls them by name. If he knows the stars in the heavens, he knows who you are. And, he, and not 
And he is there to help you in every situation of your life. And nothing is missing in his sight. He knows you. And he cares about you. And we can stand in awe of him. He is the one true and living God. The, now, when we hear the word awe, what do you, what do you guys think about? So the dictionary.com says awe means an overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration, or fear. Produced by that which is grand, extremely powerful, or the like. It can also mean dread or terror. So when we stand in awe of God, we're talking about standing in reverence of him. Of who he is. Is admiration. It is a fear of him. Now when we talk about the word fear... I don't mean being afraid of him like you would be afraid of a cobra or a rattlesnake, that you're terrified and that, that, that you want to repel away from him. The word fear there, it just means that you have a reverential awe and respect for who he is. Um, W.E. Vines, he wrote the Vines Expository Dictionary of New Testament words, and, and, and he defines fear as a wholesome, in other words, it's healthy, a wholesome dread of displeasing the Lord. In other words, you are in so in love with the Lord that you are so captivated by who he is, you don't want to do anything in your life that would displease him. It's a reverence for him. It's a reverence for his word. It's a reverence for, for his worship, for his glory. That is, that's what it means to fear him. And so Psalm 47, verse 2, it says, For the Lord Most High is to be feared a great king over all the earth. Deuteronomy 4.39 says, Know therefore today and lay it to heart that the Lord is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. There is no other. There is no other God. All the gods of this world are nothing but dumb idols. Buddha is not a god. Muhammad is dead and buried. But there's only one true living God that came to this earth, took on flesh, went to the cross, died, said he would rise again, did it. And he's the one that we should follow. If he said that he was going to die and rise again, and he did it, then I think we should listen to what else he has to say. Right? I'm going to listen to a guy that says he's going to die and rise again. And notice that he is God in Deuteronomy 4.39. He is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. He is not a, a God of deism. Deism says that God is like a, a, a clockmaker. That he just, um, a clockmaker God, like a, like a uh, where the maker creates a clock, winds it up, and leaves it alone and lets it run on, on its own. So nature becomes God. Okay? So God is non-existence in the world and in the universe. We don't have a God like that. God is God in heaven, and he's God on the earth. He knows exactly what's going on, and he has control over every situation, even when you don't think it. There's not one thing that's outside of his authority. Amen? And he has delegated his authority to you, for you to use in your life. 
So now we hear the word awesome a lot. I think, you know, Ben talked about last week about love, how in our culture, love has become so watered down because we use it for everything. And, you know, he said he loved the Vikings, which I cannot understand why, being Wisconsin bred, and he turns to, a, to be a Viking fan. I, I don't get that. But anyways, um, you know, love, we say we love pizza or, or we love that, that movie. And I think sometimes when we look at the word awesome, we use the word awesome the same way. Well, wasn't that play by Aaron Rodgers just awesome? You know, wasn't that movie awesome? Boy, that steak, that was awesome, you know? But so we use that flippantly. But the word awesome is causing to induce awe. It's inspiring over, this is what the dictionary.com says, it's an overwhelming feeling of reverence, admiration, or fear. There is only one being in this universe that deserves to be called awesome, and that is God. That is Jesus. He is the only one that deserves feeling of reverence and admiration and fear. Now, it is one thing to know that God is awesome. It's another thing to experience how awesome he is. And we sang that song, the last song we sang, A Miracle Working God. We worship a miracle working God. He is awesome. There's, you know, think, think about it. Where would you be today if it wasn't for the miracle working God? Would you be alive today? Did he save you? Did he set you free from addiction or depression? Or maybe some of you may had a terminally ill uh, disease in your body. And God healed you from that. Um, I mentioned uh, in our, uh, with our volunteers this, this morning, I, th- I think about Amy Winkleman and her father. Her father had a 7% chance of life, of living, of surviving terminal cancer. But God totally healed him and set him free. We serve a miracle-working God. We can stand awe in awe and worship God the creator of the universe, the one who formed the stars in the sky, cares enough to come down and touch us where we're at. And he lives on the inside of you if you have accepted him. The God of the universe. Exodus fifteen eleven says, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. There is no God like our God. First Kings 8.60, and I'm, you know, I'm just have a lot of verses here, but we'll just kind of go, go through them. First uh, Kings 8.60 says that all the people of the earth, that earth may know that the Lord is God. There is no other. He wants us to know that there's no other God. But it's not enough to know that there is no other God. He wants us to know him personally, to have an intimate fellowship and a relationship with God, that he's just not some creator out in the distance with a heavenly fly swatter waiting to crush us when we make a mistake. He wants us to have an intimate fellowship and a relationship with him. 
Jesus said in, in his prayer um, just before he was going to be, be crucified in John chapter 17, verse 3, he says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He wants us to know him intimately, to have that relationship, to have that fellowship with him. But in order to have that relationship with God, in order to know him in that intimacy like that, you have to see him for who he is. And so let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. So the setting of Isaiah chapter 6 is that there was a king, King Uzziah. King Uzziah was a king in Israel, um, the southern tribe of Judah, and he was a righteous king, and he reigned for 52 years. And we, we don't have a concept of that because we have, you know, a four-year term, and if a president gets reelected, eight, eight years. But in a monarchy, he, was, he reigned for, for 52 years. And so people looked at, to, to him for direction. And, and so there was turmoil in the land so because the, the king just died. And, and in that same year, we read about Isaiah in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, he saw the Lord sitting upon the throne. So it doesn't matter who our politicians are. It doesn't matter who's in government in this country or in, in any other country. Jesus is on the throne, and he rules and reigns in heaven and in earth. And so... Isaiah is seeing this. He's seeing the Lord high and lifted up, and his train of his robe filled the temple. And above, above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With, with two, he covered his face, and with two, he covered his feet, and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of the glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook, and the voice of him who called, and the, uh, who called, and the house was filled with smoke. Now think about that. The, the foundations of the threshold shook. You know, we think about like the doorpost on the, on the back of this auditorium going out of, of, the, of the auditorium here by these doors. We think about this as just a little building compared to the throne room of God. How massive and large the very throne room of God is where, where millions of millions of angels, it talks about in the Bible, gather. So that's a massive place. And it says that the foundations of the doorpost shook because of the holiness of God. That is the magnitude of who he is. And Isaiah, in the midst of that, said, woe is me. I'm lost. And what is your reaction going to be when, when you see God in all his glory and majesty? You're gonna, it's, it's woe. I am lost. The, the old King James Version says, I am undone. In other words, he was coming apart at the seams, at the magnitude. And he saw that he was unclean before God. He says, I dwell in the midst of a people unclean, for my lips have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. And so when Isaiah is saying this, 
um, John, the, uh, the Apostle John, actually quote, quotes from this chapter and in John chapter 12, verse 41. And the Apostle John said that Isaiah spoke this of Jesus because he saw his glory. So this vision, this experience that Isaiah had, he saw the pre-incarnate, the second person of the Trinity, before he came to, took on flesh and came to, to earth. He saw Jesus on the throne. We have to see Jesus for who he is. We read about him in the Gospels, and we read about what he did in his life and ministry. But he rose from the dead, and he, uh, he received back all of his glory and all of his majesty, and he is Lord. And, you know, sometimes, you know, we hear about um, people will say, well, who's Jesus to you? And they'll say, well, Jesus is my best friend. And that's great. That is true. He should be our friend. He, that's what, that was one of our topics in this series. He's, he's a friend that's closer than a brother. That is true. But Jesus is more than just our friend. He's more than just our buddy. He's God. And he's full of power, full of majesty, full of glory. In Colossians 1... Uh, 15 through 22, it says of Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And the word firstborn means, doesn't mean he was the first one to be created because he never was created. He always has existed. He is eternal. The word firstborn just means his, that he is supreme, his preeminence. So in other words, he is supreme. He has preeminence over all creation for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, for his purpose, everything. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So every molecule, every atom, there's not one cosmic dust that is not held together by his power. That's who he is. And he is the head of the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn. In other words, he reigns and has supremacy over death. He entered into the fullness of the death experience and conquered it. And if you're in him, then his victory is your victory. That in everything, he might be preeminent or supreme. For in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In Hebrews, it says that he's the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. That's who he is. We must see him as holy. We must see him not just as our friend, but he is Lord. And he wants to be the Lord of your life. 
to where we give him absolute and complete control over everything that we are, everything that we have, everything that we think about. He wants to be Lord of how we talk, how we speak, Lord of how we conduct our, 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 our life towards other people. He wants to be Lord. And that's what it means to fear him, to recognize his holiness. You know, I, I didn't, there's been times in my life where I've backslidden, where I wasn't honoring God, that I let the things of this world influence me, let other people that I worked with influence the way I talked, influence the way I thought about, you know, and, and I would start backing away from the scripture, not, not reading my Bible. I went five years without reading my Bible. I started drinking alcohol. I started looking at things on websites that I had no business of looking at. Because I didn't recognize who Jesus was in my life. But all the while, as I was in that backslidden state, there was a drawing. There was a love that God was continuing to draw me. And not beating me up, not beating me up, not... Um, having that heavenly fly swatter that so often we think about. You know, we hear about religion, that religion is a bunch of do's and don'ts. And the problem with religion is it doesn't have the power to, to do the do's and keep from doing the don'ts, right? That's dead religion. But a living faith in God will give you God's enabling grace to be able to do the do's and keep from doing the don'ts. But it's not your ability, it's his ability. But until we recognize that and make him Lord in every area of our life, his lordship will give us the freedom. In lordship, in submission to his lordship is freedom. It's freedom. It's freedom from bondage. It's freedom from sin. But it's recognizing who he is. And on the cross, that's where the price was paid. And so these angels, they cry out, holy, holy, holy. You know, they didn't cry, God is love, God is love. Or God is grace, God is grace. And we know that he is full of grace. And we know that he is love. But the one attribute that they recognized was his holiness. His holiness. And I, and, and I don't think that one attribute should be, ever be at the expense of another with, with God. But I think the reason why God's love is so great, the reason why God's grace is so great, is because he is absolutely pure. He's holy. That's what it means to be holy. It's, it's to be set apart from anything unclean or sin. It's to be absolutely pure. And I believe that is why God's love is so great, is because he is so great in his holiness. Notice that, his, that, that word is mentioned three times. And, you know, if, if you read, if you're a student of Scripture in... Um, in the New Testament was written in Greek, Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Both languages have ways of what they would do to, to make an, ex, an explanation, um, to emphasize something of great importance. And, you know, sometimes when, when we're typing on a Word document, 
uh, will bolden the, the, the text to make it show importance. We'll italicize it. Well, in Hebrew or in Greek, they would do the same thing, okay? They wouldn't bolden a letter or italicize it, but they would repeat the letter twice. And so we see that with Jesus. Jesus would say, truly, truly, right? Have you ever read the scriptures where Jesus said, truly, truly? So in other words, when he does that, he's, what he's doing, he's indicating is what he's about to say is of, of, of extreme importance, okay? And so Hebrew had the same thing. And uh, one example would be in, in uh, Genesis chapter 14, it talks about a, a butamen pit or an asphalt pit, okay? And so reading that, we would just think, well, that's just a normal pit, you know, stay away from it. But in Hebrew, it would say a pit pit. That's how it is in, in Hebrew. It mentions it twice. So in other words, you know, there are pits and then there are pit pits. And you want to stay away from a pit pit because it will be a pretty pitiful situation to fall in the pit pit. You will be in the pits. So you need to stay away from the pit pit, okay? It was trying to show the extreme importance, the greatness of this pit. In Isaiah chapter 6, when he mentions holy, he doesn't mention it once. He doesn't mention it twice. He mentions it to the third degree. He is holy, holy, holy. It is of absolute greatness. That is who he is. So, we have to see his lordship. We have to see his holiness. But how do we see him? We see him in the word. In uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it talks about that the God of this this world, Satan, um, he wants to blind us, wants to blind the minds of unbelievers. To keep them from seeing something. And what he's trying to keep them from seeing is in verse 4, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The gospel, the word of God, contains the very glory of God, the very holiness of God, the very splendor and majesty of God. And when we see the gospel, when we read the gospel, when we read the word, we see who Jesus is, and he is the very image of God. Verse uh, 6 says, For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We see who Jesus is in the word. We read about him. And we can experience who he is in daily fellowship with him through the word of God. Jesus said, responding to the the disciple Philip, Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. And Jesus said, have you been so long with me that you don't know 
who I am and who the Father is? He said, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. If you see who Jesus is through the word, you have seen God. Because Jesus is God manifested in this earth. And you want to know what God is like? You look at Jesus. Jesus is the will of God in action. How he responded to death. How he responded to sickness and disease. How he responded to the lost and to the sinner. That's who he is. He's the will of God in action. Did he ever reject anyone who came to, to him? Not one time. If, if he accepted him, them, he will accept you. No matter what, where you're at in your life, no matter where, what situation that you're in, he will accept you. But it's on the basis of what he did. We, t- we read about when Isaiah um, experienced who he was. He said, woe is me, I, 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 I am lost, I am undone. And there was an angel who grabbed a coal off the, off the incense altar and came and touched his mouth because his mouth was unclean. And Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So it wasn't just that his mouth was um, stunk and needed to, to have a brushing. It was an indication of his heart. His heart was unclean and blasphemous towards God. And it took the, the catheterization of that coal um, to make atonement for him, to clean him up. But we don't just have a coal that touches us. We have the Lord who stepped down from his throne and came to this earth and went to the cross for us and makes us clean before him and washes us because of his blood. That's what he did for us. So we see, and like I said, the holiness of God and the love of God is never at odds with each other. We see at the in the climatic event of the cross where the holiness of God and the love of God converged in Jesus. The holiness of God and his treatment and his hatred towards sin in his pouring out his wrath upon Jesus upon the cross in our place as our substitute. But then we see the love of God demonstrated towards us because of it. His holiness made a way for the love of God to be demonstrated to you. Think about that. So once we see him, we must savor him. We must enjoy him. We must see him for who he is. And we must worship him. In Psalm 96 Verse 4 through 9. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the earth. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the the Lord glory, do his name. Bring an offering and come to church. That's what he said. I didn't say that. Did not say that. He did. That's part, and he says, worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. But notice there, bring an offering. 
in, in, in all seriousness. That's a part of our worship towards him. Tithes in offering is one way we reverence the Lord. It is one way that we honor the Lord. It's one way that we show the fear of the Lord in who he is. To not give tithes in offering, honestly, guys, it's a dishonorable act to the Lord. Because he commands us to do it. It's part of our worship towards him. We are to honor the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5 through 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of your produce. Then, all your, bar- then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. And to honor there is to treat him as valuable. When we treat him as valuable and treasure God and treasure Jesus, then everything that we have, we want to give to him because we treasure him above our own money. So tithes and offering is a response of worship and love towards Jesus. So we must see him. We must savor him, enjoy him, enjoy his presence and treasure him and give him of our heart every area of our life. And once we see him, once we savor him by enjoying him, now we must show him to the world and being a refuge that God has called us to be. But we will never show him the way we are too accurately if we are living a life of worldliness. You know, if we're, if we're compromising with sin, if we're compromising with the bottle or drugs or looking at things we shouldn't look at on websites. And maybe you don't have any issues with those, but maybe you have an issue with pride. Maybe you have an issue with unforgiveness or bitterness. God can't, can't use us if we're full of unforgiveness and bitterness. Maybe it's, it's wrong words coming out of your mouth and, and how you treat others, you know. There's, God does not want us to, be, to live our life like that. He wants us to put away worldliness. You know, I think back when I was a kid, um, I was about four or five years old. Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark came out. You know, I'm dating myself. You know, it's, for some of you guys who are in your 20s, you know, you're having to think back, whoa, that's on Turner Movie Classics, you know. <laughs> but I remember seeing that, and, and it's a fictional movie, right? And, you know, they're after the Ark of the Covenant. And, and, and the Ark of the Covenant in the Old Testament represented the presence of God represented the glory of God, represented um, coming into his throne room and, and worshiping him, right? And so in Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones, they're in Egypt, and they come to this tomb where they think that the ark is, and they, and they open up the door. Um, well, instead of me talking about it, why don't we just watch the clip? And so Indiana Jones is going after the Ark of the Covenant that represented the presence of God. And what was blocking him 
was snakes, cobras, vipers that were keeping him, blocking his way to get to the, to the ark. And I think that oftentimes is a good picture of what worldliness does. It cuts us off from the presence of God and affects us to where we lose our, not our relationship with God, but our fellowship and our intimacy with him. And so, you know, when I saw this movie, um, you know, back when I was a kid, um, I thought it was awesome. And so I, uh, I grabbed a rope out of the garage and went to, decided to go outside to our second story deck. And I decided to tie that rope off at the, over the railing of the deck and proceeded to lower myself down just like Indiana Jones did in, in that tomb there. And, um, you know, what kind of knot can a five, six-year-old tie? So I'm way up at the top, that knot loosens, and I fall all the way down and land on my back. And I know it didn't knock the wind out of me because I was screaming. (laughs) And my mom comes running out of the house, and she knew that there was something wrong with me. That it was an emergency. And, you know, at that time, like I said earlier, I was in Alaska. There's not really a hospital too far away. Or there's a hospital that's not close, right? And and so um, she just took me in her arms and just started praying for me in the name of Jesus. And started praying. And like that, whatever happened, it was instantly gone and healed. And I've never had an issue. But I think that's also how worldliness is. is. Worldliness unties our connection and our fellowship to God. And I think sometimes we fall, and we fall on a bunch of rocks, and, and we're broken and we're beat up by life. But just like my mom came and ministered to me, we have the master. We have Jesus who comes and ministers to us when we have fallen and when we have made mistakes in our life. And he brings health and he brings healing to us in every area. And he wants to do that for you. And we can stand in awe of him and who he is. He is a restorer. One thing, what what does it mean to stand in awe of him? It's to acknowledge him in all your ways. It's to acknowledge who Jesus is to you. He is your good shepherd. He is the ever-present one that will never leave you nor forsake you. He is the provider that will provide for all of your needs. He is our righteousness. So what does that mean, righteousness? It means because of what Jesus did, he has made us right with him. That we're not wrong anymore. That we're not a mistake That he doesn't hold our guilt against us. Now think of it like this. Think of it like as the Bill of Rights in the United States. With the Bill of Rights, because you're a citizen of the United States, you have certain rights and privileges as a citizen of the United States, right? That's how our right standing with God is. We have certain rights and privileges because we are citizens of heaven. We have very access into the throne room of God. And we can have fellowship 
with him and stand in awe of him. So he's our righteousness. He's our sanctifier. In other words, he's the one that is continuing to work on us to get all the junk out of our life. And he's going to bring it to completion. He's not done with us yet. Even though we've made mistakes, if you stay faithful to him and stay in the word, he will, his healing process will remove that junk out of your life. But you have to submit to his lordship. He is our victory banner, says in, uh, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's acknowledging that he's our victory. It's acknowledging that he's not just the healer, but he's our healer, that he's your healer. It's not enough to know that he heals today, but you need to know that he wants to heal you. He's the healer, but is he your healer? Make him your healer. Acknowledge him for who he is. And I think sometimes in recognizing who he is and and acknowledging who he is, sometimes we have um, a false sense of awe and a false sense of reverence. And so I remember um, reading about a a certain minister, and, you know, there's been ministers and, and people throughout time, and we read about them in Scripture and maybe present-day ministers that, that have books or whatnot, and they have an experience with God that, that God calls them supernaturally, and they have this experience with him. And I remember reading about one, and, and um, you know, he was in prayer and then just got caught up to the throne room of, of God and saw Jesus. And when he saw Jesus he immediately goes down on his hands and feet and, and, says, and starts worshiping him. But then he says, I'm not worthy to look on your face. I'm not worthy to be here. And I think sometimes a lot of us would probably say the same thing. We would think of ourselves as not being worthy to see Jesus, not worthy to be able to be in his throne. But Jesus, the way he responded to this individual He said, get up on your feet. And he grabbed him and lifted him up on his feet. And Jesus looked right into his eyeballs. And and, um, the minister said, Jesus said this to him. Don't ever say that you're not worthy. My blood has made you worthy. Don't ever in your life think you are an unworthy, rotten human being. Jesus came and died and shed his blood to make you worthy. And the worth of something is determined by the cost or the price that a person is willing to pay. And Jesus came and shed his blood that far surpassed all the riches and gold and silver in this world, according to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 20. You were, you were saved, bought, purchased with the precious blood of Jesus. You are worthy. Hebrews, in closing, Hebrews 4, chapter 4, verse 16. It says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and grace to help in the time of need. If you have a sense of unworthiness or a low self-esteem, 
it will keep you from having confidence to enter the, the throne room of grace. But you don't have to feel unworthy. Jesus has made you worthy, and you can enter into his very presence in where his majesty, his glory is, his very presence with confidence, without the feeling of any unworthiness or any inferiority complex. There's no an inferiority complex in the throne room. You have boldness to go there. You have the right and the right and privilege to go there into his presence. We must see him. We must savor him, reverence him, stand in awe of him, give to him our everything, not just our money. Everything we have is his. And then we must show him, declare him to the world, be the refuge, take his light, take his grace, take his mercy, take his love to our neighbors, to our family members, to our co-workers, minister them the light and the presence of God and show them Jesus, not in just the what you say, but in how you live your life. Living that crucified, consecrated, separate life. Jesus, uh, Peter said, quoting the Old Testament, be ye holy for I am holy, quoting what God said. We are to live a holy lifestyle, a separate lifestyle, separate from the world. That means we don't act the way the world acts. We don't talk the way the world talks. We don't, we don't uh, respond to others the way the world responds. So, no, so in other words, if, if someone just cuts you off in traffic, you respond to them with the love of Jesus and not the way an unsaved person would. I know that can be tough sometimes. But you respond the way Jesus would. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for your mercy. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for who you are and what you have done in our lives. And we acknowledge you. We praise you and we give you reverence. That your presence is here. Your spirit is here right now. And we stand in awe of you. This is holy ground because this ground is where your presence is. We thank you, Spirit of God, that you are the Holy Spirit. You're holy, holy, holy. With every head bowed, and every eye closed. If you don't know who Jesus is, if you have never experienced the reality of the risen Savior, and you have identified that in the presence of God that you stand unclean before him, and that if you were to die tonight, that you would, as Isaiah said, I am lost. But you have heard what I said, and 
you've heard that it's only through Jesus that we are saved, that, that we are redeemed. That we are restored to right relationship with God. And you want to have that experience of knowing who Jesus is. For having him as a living reality in your life. Or you maybe have been a believer for a long time. But but you have let the, the snakes of this world come in. That has blocked the presence and the, the fellowship with God in your life. And you have identified those snakes. Maybe the snake of alcoholism. Maybe the, 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 the snake of pornography. Maybe the, the snake of drug addiction. Maybe the snake of pride or unforgiveness. And you want to get rid of them. And to exterminate them in your life. If any one of those two things apply to you. And you want to make yourself right, get, get right with God, I want you to lift your hand. Thank you. I can see those hands. I can see those hands. So, we are going to pray a prayer. We, at Refuge, we call it a believer's prayer because it's a prayer that those who have faith in Christ pray. If you have faith in Christ, you can pray this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you right now. I acknowledge my sin. I acknowledge every unclean thing in my life. I acknowledge the the snakes that have blocked me from you. And I ask for your forgiveness. I ask that you would cleanse me. Do a work on the inside of me. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to go to the cross, to die in my place, to carry my shame, to carry my unworthiness, And he rose again to give me new life. I receive that new life now. And I dedicate myself to follow you all the days of my life. I make you Lord. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, or maybe you didn't, but you should have, I want to invite you to come down on the front after we sing here in a bit. We'll have our prayer team up here. They are here willing and ready to pray with you, to to get you started and to help you on this new journey, on this new path of knowing Jesus. Why don't we stand? Let's just worship God, how great and awesome he is. Refuge, we believe all people matter to God. Thank you so much for listening. If you would like to connect further with Refuge, feel free to go online to wearerefuge.net or on social media at wearerefuge.